to be a member of a body of Christ, knowing that our God conquered all. Yeah, we're in good shape. It is great to see you both members and visitors alike. We are honored with you and your attendance, and we're thankful that you're here today. Let's go together to God, please, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy divine name and thank you. For you are awesome, and you are kind and full of grace and loving, loving kindness and mercy. And we praise your holy and divine name. And we separate your name from all else. And this morning as we worship you, we ask and pray that our worship will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. That all things that will and have been spoken are in accordance to your will and your way. We ask, Lord God, that you would accept our worship. And we pray that in all things we leave this place, that we'll leave this place stronger today than we've been yesterday, bringing all glory and honor to your name. These things we do ask and pray in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, for be thy will. Amen. This sermon title could go in so many different directions, but this morning I want us to think about this sermon title, Help Us, in regards to evangelism and mission. We are in phase three. Immorality is a great sin against God, against the world. Look at the children who suffer because of or at the cause of immorality. Christians, we have the answer. We have the solution. God gave us the solution to the world's problem. When the problem calls, or when the, when the world calls for help, we have the answer. Are we giving the answer to the world? A world who cries for help, but they just don't know where to turn. The Macedonian call. It was a cry for help. Turn to Acts chapter 16. The cry was not ignored by God. The Holy Spirit was a part of, of this call and the answer to the call. In Acts 16 and verse 6, And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So God said, no, don't go to Asia. Not right now. Verse 7, And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. No, we're not going to Bithynia because there are some people who are crying for help. Verse 8, And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. We, we need you. What problems were they, were they facing in, in Macedonia? Number one, they were asking for help to, to rid themselves of, of their evil ways. They were crying for help because of the superstitious mindset of the people in the land. Because of the idolatrous ways of the people in the land. They were immersed in 
superstition. They need help. God, enlighten our eyes. Open our eyes to see the truth. To turn from darkness to light. They cried in devastation. Give us the kind of help that can only come from Jesus. The kind of help that can only come from the Gospel. We have the power of God in His Word, in written form. We have the answers. How do we change a world's, uh, the dynamics of a people? How do we change from immorality to morality? The Gospel. The Gospel message has the saving power to not only change a people, but to save an individual and collectively an entire world. If a person doesn't believe the Word of God for salvation, it will still make you a better person. The Word of God has changing power, transforming power. In Acts 16 and verse 10, and when... He had seen the vision. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, they were crying for help, and the answer was the gospel message. That's the answer. That's the answer for America. That's the answer for every nation of people all throughout the world. In Romans uh, chapter chapter 1, the Bible tells us the power of the gospel and that the gospel itself brings power. We have the answer for the world. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is, or in the righteousness, excuse me, of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So I'm going to go to Mark chapter 3. Let's talk about this this transforming power for just just a moment. John and James were were called sons of of thunder. And in Mark 3 in verse 17, and James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, to them he gave, Jesus gave the name, to them he gave the name Baranogis, which means sons of thunder. Why did he give them that name? Turn to Luke chapter chapter 9. You see, they weren't quite aware of who they really were. They weren't quite aware of, of the spirit in them. A destructive spirit, mind you. Luke 9 and verse, uh, verse 51. And it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Now remember that the Samaritans and the Jews, you know, they, they had these issues. Samaritans are Jews, but they are part Jew and part something else. From the northern kingdom, left in Samaria, made the capital. He made arrangements for them. And in verse 53, and they did not receive him because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. 
And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> right? You don't want to accept Jesus? Fine, we'll kill everyone. Right? What's wrong with these folks? Right? That, that spirit of zeal, if you want to call it zeal or whatever you want to call it, that, that, that spirit needed to be transformed. There needed to be a change of heart. And Jesus, the Bible says, turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know of what kind of spirit you are of. That's the beginning of their walk. Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. And yet, the gospel over time, it, it will change you. Right? It, it, will, it will transform you. The same man who says, let's call down fire from heaven and, and consume a people, now says by way of inspiration, do not marvel, brethren, verse 13, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue but indeed in truth. That sounds like the same guy. That sounds like a transformed man. And in 1 John 4, and, and, and the verse is 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The gospel has transforming power. You, you just, Acts chapter 8, please. You have to just let it touch your heart. You've you got to let God touch you. And when God touches you, amazing things happen. You go from, from one person and one personality almost to another. Because you see life differently. You see things differently. Your priorities change. What's important is important to God. It has transforming power. Look at these people in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. Now, there was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. They heard the message and it changed them. It, it transformed them. And they followed Jesus from this point forward. And then in Acts chapter 19, and all I'm saying to you today, church, is that as we think about entering into uh, our, 
our phase of missions and evangelism, remember the power that's being carried through our evangelistic efforts to a lost and dying world. Remember also what this same word will do right here in America and will do to your heart as well. In Acts 19, in verse 17, And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them, and all in the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also, those who had believed, kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver because of the message of Jesus. It was because of the message of Jesus that money didn't matter. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The hearts of the people we're turning. In the book of Jude, I want you to think about for just a moment, there was a murderous man named Saul. What changed his heart? The gospel. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The gospel has power. And in Jude, verse, verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life and have mercy on some who were doubting. Have mercy on some. It kind of changes the way we preach the gospel too, huh? When we're talking to people, mercy have mercy on, on some who are doubting because they're struggling. And I don't know why they're struggling right now, but they're struggling. And so God says, Tony, I need you to have mercy on those people. And save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And Lord... Why have mercy? Snatch them from the fire, preacher. Thank you, God. The gospel message has transforming power. And what it takes, Matthew chapter 9, please, for those missionaries who are out doing the work of God, who've, who've left one place and have gone to another, who've, who've risked their lives in some places, for the people who are carrying the gospel, for the people who are supporting the gospel, for the people in our own country who are teaching their neighbors, for you. It takes two things. Mercy and compassion. Compassion for lost souls. For the lost soul to be removed from the place of condemnation and blessed and brought into a a safe relationship with the Lord. It, it takes mercy. It, it takes compassion. And in Matthew 9 and verse 35, Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their, village, in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and, 
every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. They were, they were distressed and they were downcast and they didn't know where to go. Jesus felt compassion for them. It takes mercy and it takes compassion. Matthew 14 and verse 13. The Bible says, Now when Jesus heard it, He withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by Himself. And when the multitudes heard this, they followed Him on foot from the cities. And when He went ashore, He saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. You, you know, I, you've heard people say, well, you know, the only reason they followed him was because that's not what this is all about. It, it's about mercy. And it's about compassion. In Matthew 15, in verse 32, and Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I do not wish to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And you say, well, they, they just stayed for the food. And, and yeah, some did stay for the food and, and some only wanted Jesus for the healing and, and, and this and some that. And so, but it doesn't matter, right? We just need to have mercy and compassion. Matthew chapter chapter nine. You ever you ever known someone that maybe they uh, when they first came to Jesus, maybe they weren't really truly seeking, but they wanted Jesus. And later on, they turned their lives completely around. It's called growth. Right? Yeah, you ever seen a babe in Christ who who remains a babe in Christ for? For 50 years. And then some who remain a babe in Christ for only a year. It, it, does it matter? I mean, I mean let, let God be the judge. Let us just have grace, mercy, and compassion. In Matthew 9 and verse 37, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see, it takes mercy and compassion to volunteer to be a worker for the Lord. That's what we're praying for. God, send us workers in the harvest, right? The next verse says, Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send our workers into the harvest. That's what we need. We need workers and workers who have mercy and compassion. So Jesus, uh, Romans chapter, chapter 5, when he came to rescue a people, he didn't look out and see that, you know, that person that seems unapproached. You ever seen someone like that? You ever met someone that you, maybe you didn't know them, but they, they just looked unapproachable, right? And so you kind of stayed, stayed back and you, 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 you minded your peas. And, I, and sometimes I get that. You get that eerie feeling. Sometimes I get that. 
But you know something I learned? Most people who seem unapproachable have a guard up because they've been hurt. And they don't want to be hurt again. It's, it's your approach that makes the difference. Mercy and compassion. The approach makes the difference. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for, he died for all. You know what's amazing to me is when you, you, you find that person that seems unapproachable and guarded. When they open up, it's amazing how beautiful they are. But while we were still helpless, you see that scripture? That unapproachable person. Maybe I'm the unapproachable person. But, but I'm in a helpless state of mind. So for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for righteous folks. He died for ungodly folks. And there are some righteous folks who are actually ungodly folks in the church today. He died for you too. Some, some of us have to turn our lives around back to Jesus. Some of us have to look deep into our hearts and find that mercy and that compassion. For while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. And what would holy die for a righteous man? Though for, perhaps for the good man, some would even, would even dare to die. Right? Imagine the power of that scripture. You know, a, a good man, we're going to, but a wicked person? And then it just depends on who you, who you consider to be good, right? Is it because I get something from it? From it or? But Christ didn't do that. Christ died for everybody. While we were still helpless, in, in that state of mind, God did something for us. He demonstrated his own love toward us. The next verse. God demonstrated his own love toward us. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were wrong, Christ made us right. <laughs> when, when I was all messed up, Christ fixed it. The providence of God, the truth of the message of God, the power of the gospel saves souls. And you know how important one person is? Philip was in, was in a very, very, very powerful gospel meeting. He's preaching the word of God, and the whole city was changed and transformed and, and came to God. And the Holy Spirit said, there's one guy out there in Ethiopia in the desert. I need you to go out there. And God, God transported him. God took him from that spot and put him out there in the desert to meet one man. You had a whole city of people responding to the gospel and God said, yeah, but there's one over there. I need you to go get that one. Every person is equally important to God. How important was Saul? Saul of Tarsus, a murderous heart. Yet God was there for that one, for that one man.
the doors of the Gentiles. Peter and Cornelius, oh no, God, I can't go down there. Yeah, I need you to go down there. Ananias, I've heard about Saul. I can't preach to him. I need you to go preach to him. And then the city we're reading about now in Macedonia, and they wanted to go to Mysia and Bithynia, and God says, no, I need you to go because there's somebody calling for help. The Macedonian call. Here's what's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is really important when it comes to missions, church. It's not about me. I love that. That's the easiest part of missions. It's so great. It's like doing God's work, I just need to step away and let God do His work, right? It's not about me, right? That's what's so easy about missions. It's never been about me. It's not about me. So, so, so the apostle tells us this by way of inspiration. He says, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. It's not, it's not about me. It's not. It's never been about me. So then, listen to the text. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. So Paul, you're nothing. Apollos, you're, you know, you get what God is saying, right? It's all about God. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. God will, will cause the seed that's, that's in the heart. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, God put eternity into their hearts. You see, God put it, God's going to make that seed, God can make that seed wake up. It's already in there. Jeremiah 31, it's already there. Everybody knows about God. God can wake it up. Well, I don't know what to say, preacher. You don't have to know what to say. You just have to know how to respond. Well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, when they say, well, I don't know if I believe, I don't know how to become a Christian. Well, this is what I did based on the scriptures. I heard the word of God and I believed it. And I had to make a decision. You see, I, I didn't know. I, I, at first I didn't know and now I know. And so I believed the word of God and I decided, oh, I got to turn my life around. So I decided I'm going to change my life. Not for me. I'm going to change it for God. And, and I know God's going to bless me in it. I just want to, I just want to do better. I just wanted to do better. I'm not perfect by all means. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I wanted to do better. And so I heard the word of God. And I believed it. I made a decision. I'm going I'm to start doing better. I'm not going to live this way anymore. Repentance. Godly sorrow. I'm sorry for the way I lived my life. And then I, I made this confession that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Because that's what I believe. <laughs> and, and then I, I was baptized. And, and, and God in the water, I don't know how he did it, but somewhere in that water I contacted the blood of Christ and, 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 and he washed me clean and gave me a gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what I did. That's what the, I just did what the Bible said. It, was, it wasn't about me. It was, it was like Naaman going down to the river. He said, hey, aren't the, aren't the rivers of, of Arnon and, and Far Par better? They're cleaner. They're better than these old dirty waters. It's not about you, Naaman. It's about God. And, and Naaman went down in the water and dipped, and, and the Bible says he came up clean. Right? And, and that's what happens. It's, it's simple. It's like throwing your clothes in a washing machine and adding some, some laundry detergent, and, and, and poof, you, you know, after a certain amount of time, you take them out and they're clean. It had nothing to do with you. It was, the, it was a cleansing agent in the water. See? So, so evangelism is, is really actually, 
It's pretty simple. You don't have to know all those, you know, premillennial and amillennial and postmillennial answers, right? Say, what in the world is that? Don't worry about it. You don't have to know all that stuff. Folks that want to get into that and draw you into the book of Revelation don't really want to know the truth. In most cases, they just want to argue, right? Because that's a book you can argue about. Well, I think these are the Apache helicopters, and, and this is what I think. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know how that. They didn't have Apache helicopters back then, did they? Well, no, they didn't. Well, why don't we just, why don't we just stay right there where they are? Let's keep one foot in the first century, and, then, and let's start there. <laughs> we did that this morning in Bible class. It wasn't about Paul, and it wasn't about Apollos. It's all about God. Verse 8 says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's, let's think about missions and evangelism in this way. Let's just make it all about God. Matthew 28. I think our lives are supposed to be that way, right? As God's people, we just, we just make it all, we make it all about God. Make my life, make my life all about God, and, and God will put me in the right place at the right time. Or there'll be an opportunity at this, at this place and at this time to talk to someone about Jesus. And I have all the right answers, which, whatever they are, I don't know. This is just what I did, church. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and, and make disciples. How do you, how do, you do that? How do, how do you make a person a disciple? Well, we already learned it's, it's not about me, right? Uh, watering and planting. And how do you make a person a disciple? You just tell them about Jesus. Just tell them the gospel and let God do his work from there. Right? And the way you make a person a disciple is when they hear the gospel, this is what happens. They want to get baptized. Baptizing them makes them a disciple. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what makes them a disciple. And you know what Jesus said? He says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's us, right? So if Jesus is with me, what do you think? You think we can do it? How's your faith, church? How is your faith? Now, obviously, we don't have to go across over, you know, the ocean to evangelize. We can do it right here. So evangelism right here, missions right here, and then missions and evangelism abroad. That's phase three. Phase one, we reached out to those and, uh, who were members who had, who had kind of drifted away. Phase two, we were working together and have been working together, alleviating human suffering, trying to make an impact somewhere to help those who are struggling. And now phase three. All this from our, 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 our great meeting that we had together as a congregation Things that we should be doing that, that you said, that we said, this is what we want to do. Let, let's keep doing what we said we want to do as a body of Christ. The lesson is yours. This morning, if we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.